Good morning. Our scripture, <clears throat> scripture reading this morning will be from the book of John, chapter 8, verses 31 through 38. John 8, 31 through 38. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We be Abraham's seed, and were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou? Ye shall be made free. Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. And the servant, and the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth ever. If the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's seed, but ye shall see, but ye seek to kill me, because my word hath no place in you. I speak that which I have seen with my father, and ye do that which ye have seen with your father. Jesus said, and you shall know the truth. Can we know the truth? That's what I've entitled the sermon this morning, Can We Know the Truth? Of course, let's think for just a moment about those to whom Jesus was speaking. The Jewish leaders of Jesus' day, they were self-righteous, they were unloving, they were uncaring, and they were hypocritical. Could they know the truth? Well, certainly they knew the truth. Did they care about the truth? Well, that's another question. When Jesus began to preach the truths of heaven, those who listened to Him, those Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, those who were in league with them, they began to get very nervous. They didn't want to hear the truths of heaven. In fact, the longer He talked, the more upset they became, even to the point where He said in our passage, You want to kill me. In fact, they did kill him, didn't they? Of course, his reply was, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Matthew 24, 35. They didn't want to hear his words. They didn't want to hear the truth, but his words weren't going anywhere. He wasn't going to change the message simply because the hearer didn't want to hear it. And then... After they did murder the Son of God, after three days in paradise, He came back and He still spoke the truth. They weren't going to be able to stop Him. They knew that and they didn't like that. But just like then, when truth unmasks darkness, when it unmasks the wrongs in this life, those who have become unmasked get very nervous. They don't like that. There was once two very wealthy brothers. However, they were very wicked. They lived very unproductive lives as far as God was concerned in their fellow man. But they were very successful, monetarily speaking. They used their wealth to cover up all the sinful things and the dark sides of their lives. And 
On the surface, it was not noticeable to those who were not initiated into their lifestyles, those who were not very familiar with them. And they became con artists to the nth degree, and they were able to cover up the things in their lives, and, and so it went on for many years. Until one day, one of the brothers died. And these two wicked brothers, they... Every Sunday they would show up at this particular church where they were members and they would attend that service and, and they would act like they were followers of God. And so they went to the preacher of that particular church and they told him about the brother's passing and they wanted him to preach the memorial service. And of course he agreed to do that. But a little later on before the service, the brother who remained went to the preacher and he handed him an envelope and it was full of money. And he knew that that particular congregation, that church, was in the process of trying to build a new building. And he said, here is enough money to build that building, but I want you to do me a little favor. When you stand before the people who come to my brother's funeral, I want you to... Tell them that he was a saint. As he whispered, he said, and let's just keep this between ourselves. Well, the next day, the, the memorial service began and the preacher stood before the casket of the brother and with a firm conviction in his voice, he said, this man was an ungodly sinner. He was wicked to the core. He was unfaithful to his wife. He was a hot-tempered man. With his children, he was ruthless in business and a hypocrite at church. But compared to his brother, he was a saint. <laughs> now often people do not want to hear the truth about themselves or those around them. They don't want to hear the truth about their responsibilities in life. And because of that sentiment, this idea that has come to be known in the world that truth is relevant has been embraced. Now what does that mean, truth is relevant? Well, the truth for you may not be the truth for me. But I've always determined that red is red, black is black, 2 plus 2 is 4, 3 plus 3 is 6, and the list goes on and on and on. Truth is truth, whether I like it or whether I don't like it. Truth is not relevant. Truth has nothing to do with the situation. It has nothing to do with the context. It simply is either truth or it's not true. A long time ago, Paul made a warning to those who would hear him and hear Timothy, the young preacher. 2 Timothy 4, beginning with verse 3, Paul said, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. When they won't want to listen to it. When they're not going to listen to sound doctrine, they don't want any part of it. He goes on saying, but after their own lust, after their own illicit desires, he said they will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall turn unto fables. Now what's a teacher with itching ears? Someone who listens to the group and comes to understand that they believe truth is relevant, 
And what is truth to one may not be truth to the other. And they want those ears scratched. They want to hear what they want to hear. And Paul said, be careful. I'm going to warn you, those people are coming. You have to be ready for that. Can we know the truth? Well, we can know the truth. But why can we know the truth? And how can we know the truth? Well, we can know the truth. First of all, and this is our first point, truth is absolute. Truth is absolute. But what is truth? Well, we have to ask that question. We have to be able to determine what is truth, what's not truth. If something is not truth, then it is a lie, right? It's either truth or it's not truth. The context doesn't matter. We have either lived in a righteous manner or we haven't. God's counsel is truth. His words are truth. In His prayer on behalf of the disciples, Christ prayed to the Father, John 17, 17, and He asked the Father, He said, Sanctify them through Thy truth. Thy word is truth. God's counsel, His words, they're truth. Whether I believe it or whether I do not believe it, God's words are truth. Have you heard the saying, God said it, I believe it, and it's the truth? Well, God said it, whether I believe it or not, it's the truth, right? Whether I believe it or not has no bearing on whether or not it is the truth. Someone may decide to jump off a cliff. They may not believe that death awaits them at the bottom or injury awaits them at the bottom, but that doesn't stop the truth of the matter that they will injure themselves or perhaps even be killed. James declared this, he said, Of His own will beget us with the word of truth. John 1.18 Can we know the truth? Pilate asked Jesus, well, what is truth? God's word is truth, right? That's a very forward statement. It is God's counsel that gives us life, that gives us the ability to be what He wants us to be, and it is absolute. There's nothing that can be done about it. Jesus said, John 6, 63, He said, The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit, and they are life. The truth of the Word gives us life, if we will accept it. Now, we may not want to hear the words of life. We may not want to hear about the things in our own lives that it that are contradictory to God's truths, but whether we want to hear them or not doesn't change the fact that it's the truth and that we need to make application. Another question that every person ought to ask is, how do I know something is the truth? There are something like 40,000 different religious organizations in the world who claim to be followers of Christ and every single one of them teach something different. Every single one. That just boggles the mind, doesn't it? So how do I know? How can I determine between one organization and another? There has to be a way. We can't take the words of people for it because those who are members of one organization obviously believe they're right. So we have to be able to determine who's right and who's wrong. See, every person who sits in a pew or listens to a radio program or reads literature 
or whatever, they need to be able to determine, is that person telling me the truth? But how do we do that? How do we go about doing that? We have to be able to take what someone tells us and compare it to what the truth is, right? If someone says 2 plus 2 is 5, there has to be a canon, a rule, something by which I can measure that statement and determine is 2 plus 2 5. Because if someone tells me that and they obviously believe it, they're going to say, yes, 2 plus 2 is 5. But when I stack it up against the science of mathematics, I come to the decision very quickly. Just because they believe 2 plus 2 is 5 doesn't make it so. 2 plus 2 is in fact 4, right? So I do the same thing with my spiritual life. Someone says, all you have to do is believe in God. You don't have to do anything else. Once you become a Christian, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to live an obedient life. You simply have to continue believing. And if you don't do that, that's okay too. Because faith only gets us to heaven and faith only keeps us there. Now, people who believe that will say, yes, that is correct. But I have to look at the canon. I have to look at the rule. I have to compare that statement up against the statements that God has made. Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. Well, we have two possibilities. I can be saved or I can be damned. If I want to be saved, I have to believe and be baptized. And then when I add some other statements to that, like the ones Peter made, the ones Paul made, I know that I have to believe, I have to repent, I have to confess, I have to be baptized, but I have to live a faithful life. That's in the Scripture. That's not my words. And so when we compare that idea of all you have to do is believe, we see that it does not measure up. Can I know truth? Yes, I can know truth. Jesus told the apostles that when it came time for Him to leave this earth and He would ascend back to the Father, He said, don't worry. He said, I will send the Holy Spirit and He will guide you into a little bit of the truth. No, that's not what He said, John 16, 13, He said, He will guide you into all truth. That's often when I do a Bible study and we talk about <clears throat> Ephesians 1, verse 3, and all spiritual blessings are in Christ Jesus. I said, you can't get much aller than all, right? There are no spiritual blessings outside of Christ and there is no truth outside of all truth. If it doesn't fit into God's all truth, it's not truth. And we have a way to determine. All we have to do is look. We have to compare. We may really like someone. They may have a good heart. They may love God truly and believe they're doing right. But if they're wrong, not only will it cost them their souls, it'll cost me mine if I don't compare. How can we know the truth? Well, I have to begin with a study of the Bible. I have to open the Bible and study it in a systematic way. When we study mathematics, we don't start and read a few pages in the front. Then we go and we read a few pages in the middle. And, and then I go from 2 plus 2 to calculus and exponents and this and that. And then my head begins to hurt. And then I just quit and I give it up or I stop, right? 
But you know that's how most people try to study the Bible. They'll read a little bit in Genesis. It's a very exciting book. You have wars. You have excitement. You have battles. You have drama. You have all of these things. And then you get over to Numbers. And then you eventually just lay the book down. Because it's hard to digest that, right? Well, how do I need to study the book? I need to understand some things, right? I need to be able to open the Bible. I need to be able to look and understand that in the New Testament is the words of life. That's what Jesus said. Do we believe the Old Testament? Absolutely. Everything in it is true. But we don't live under the Old Testament law. Paul said whatsoever things are written aforetime, talking about the Old Testament, were written for our learning. That through patience and comfort of the Scripture we might have hope. We learn a lot about God in the Old Testament. But I need to study the New Testament, right? The words of Christ. Paul asks this. He said, For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit of God who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual things. Now what does that mean? That's a mouthful, isn't it? Who knows about my inner thinkings outside of my spirit, the inner man. You can't know what's really on my mind. So if I want to know what's on God's mind, who do I go to? Do I go to my good friend who I have a lot of respect for, who I believe loves God? Well, I might be able to do that if I compare what he says to what God says. Because to truly know the mind of God, I have to go to God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit who guided those apostles into all truth, and they wrote it down for us. They spoke it. God revealed Himself to mankind in the words of the Old Testament initially, in the New Testament in the present age. That's why Paul said all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. We see that in 2 Timothy 3.16. 2 Peter 1.3, he says, God's provided for us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Whether I ever speak a word from the Bible again or not, He has provided that for us and we have it right here. You don't have to rely on the preacher. Isn't that a good thing? In his letter to Corinth, Paul told those people that he taught the exact same thing in every congregation of the Lord's people. Now let's think about that for just a moment, 1 Corinthians 4.17 Have you ever heard someone say, we can't understand it all the same? I've heard that. I think people who say that believe it. I think they look at the Bible and they begin to read it much like we might look at a math book and we begin in the front and we go to the middle and we go to the back and then we just put it down. I think we look at it and we become overwhelmed because we're not really doing it in a systematic way. And I think when people say that, they truly believe, well, I just don't think we can understand it the same. There are so many contradictions in the Bible. Well, there are no contradictions in the Bible. 
There's never been a proven contradiction in the Bible. We can know and we can understand. How do I know that? Because Paul said, I teach the same thing in every church. The same thing. If you teach the same thing in every church, how in the world do we come up with 40,000 different, quote, Christian denominations in the world? It's impossible if we teach the same things, right? But that's what the case is today. Because of that, because knowing that Paul taught the same thing, Christ taught the same thing, we can be confident in knowing the truth is absolute. Before returning to heaven, Jesus said, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Would He have sent a multitude of messages? Would He tell this group to do one thing and that group to do another? Well, that doesn't make sense, does it? He's no respecter of persons. What He requires from me, He requires from you. What He requires from us, He requires from someone in India or Indonesia or England or Australia or wherever the case may be. Jesus previously said to that, John 6, 45, He said, They shall be all taught of God. Every man, therefore, that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. See, we have to be taught the Scripture. Now, we may teach ourselves through, through a study of the Bible, but boy, doesn't it help for someone to be able to point out something that the Bible says and say, this is what God says. Well, I believe, for instance, someone says, well, I believe faith only saves me. Isn't it convenient for someone who has done a systematic study of the Bible? And there are so many people out there who have dedicated themselves to that. When they look and they say, this is what Jesus said. Or this is what Paul said. This is what James said in James chapter 2. You have to have obedience as well. Isn't that convenient? But we can never take someone's word for it. We better compare it to the canon, right? To the rule. To the standard. We can know and we can be confident. If we can't understand it all the same, Jesus must have not taught the same message to the apostles. They must have in turn not taught the same message to those around them and who in turn could not have taught the same message. At some point there was a breakdown in the message, right? And that's not what we want. Paul didn't believe that and he didn't teach that. Notice what he told the Ephesian brethren. He said, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, Ephesians 3, verse 4. When does something stop being a mystery? Have you ever gone to one of those mystery dinner theater things? I've read about that and I've thought for years I would enjoy that. But when does it stop being a mystery? When it's revealed, right? Paul said, I've revealed it. You can know my knowledge in that, in essence, which used to be a mystery. You can know my knowledge. See, if we can't understand it the same, Paul wasn't aware of that, right? But that doesn't have to be the case. We can know. And if we don't know, if we can't understand it the same, there's a problem. And where does the problem lie? Does it lie with God? Notice what Paul said, 1 Corinthians 14, 33. He said emphatically, God is not 
the author of confusion. Is there any confusion in the religious world today? It's full of it. There's more confusion than there is understanding. He's not the author of confusion, but of peace. Now notice this. As in all churches of the saints, there must be a whole lot of organizations in the world who are not the churches of the saints. Because there's confusion. They're teaching different things. Now, don't take my word for it. Never take my word for it. Compare it to what God says. Christ said, I will build my church. That's single. Possessive. My church. Christ's church. We better be a member of that church. For a certainty, we can all understand the message the same. It's printed out for us in in words that we can interpret and can understand. Whether we like the message or not, it is still the message from God and we can understand it. John said this, 1 John 5, 13. He said, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. Now we can know whether or not our religious beliefs are correct. Is it, is it a fun thing? Do I look forward to coming to the knowledge that I'm wrong about something? I think that's kind of against human nature a little bit, isn't it? To be happy and to embrace, boy, I'm wrong. I'm so glad I was wrong about that. I don't think any of us are like that. We take a test in school and we get it back and we miss 30% of the questions. Boy, I am so happy that I was wrong about that. No, but what do I need to do? I get that math test back and I miss 30% of the questions. I need to go back and compare my answers with what the book said, right? I need to learn. I need to adjust my thinking. I'm not happy I missed the question, but I'm happy now I know the right answer. And so when I take that test again, what do I do? I don't want to go back and put that same wrong answer just simply because I hate to say I'm wrong because my father put the wrong answers when he took that same test. I want to be right. He would want me to be right. And so I put the right answer. I change, right? We can know whether we're right or whether we're wrong. And that's the truth. That's what God's left for us. But if we're going to come to the knowledge and we're going to understand, if it's going to help us knowing truth is absolute, we have to spend some time studying the Bible. 2 Timothy 2.15 Searching the Scripture. Never taking anything, anybody's word for it. Comparing and looking. Because in the Scripture, Jesus said, John 5.39, is life. If I'm going to allow the absoluteness of the truth to help me, I must acknowledge that. That's our second point. I have to acknowledge it. God has given us the truth. And here's something about acknowledging the truth and it being absolute. It does not vary. It doesn't matter what the culture of the day says. It doesn't matter what they're doing in Rome, right? When in Rome, do as the Romans. No, absolutely not. That's incorrect. If it's wrong here, it's wrong in Rome. Because why? Truth is absolute. I have to acknowledge that. 
Again, we go back to the theory of mathematics. 2 plus 2 is 4, it's not 5. It doesn't matter how much relativism that someone in the world tries to put forth. 2 plus 2 is never 5. It can't be. It ought to be a red flag to us. I told a, a brother this one time. He came up to me and he was telling me, he said, and he was a Christian, a New Testament Christian. He said, you can't pray for anything physical in this world. I said, Kevin, let me tell you something. It ought to be a red flag. When you come to the understanding that it took you and your daddy in 2,000 years to come to the proper understanding of prayer, that ought to be a red flag. We're ignoring what the apostles taught. We're ignoring what Jesus taught. We're ignoring 2,000 years of faithful brethren who understood what we can pray for in this life. And now all of a sudden, here right at the end, in the last days, you it took you and your daddy to determine we can't pray for physical things. We can't pray for our families to, to uh, be treated at the hospital and that be successful. We can't pray for our friends going on a trip that that they'll have a safe journey. It ought to be a red flag when someone says something and it doesn't match up to what the Bible says. Let's get away from that person. And is it hurtful sometimes? Sure it is. But you know what's more hurtful? Eternity in hell. And let me tell you something else. And I discovered this a long time ago. And this isn't something that we enjoy the thought of. All of us at some point or another have lost someone to death who was not a Christian, who was not what the Bible said they ought to be, and it hurts us. And I've had so many people tell me, if I do that, if I believe that, I am in essence saying my mother or my father or my grandmother or whoever the case is lost. Let me tell you what truth tells us. Because truth is absolute. The Word of God is truth. Jesus talked about the rich man in Luke 16. He didn't want his five brothers to join him in torments. He didn't want that. So let's not make it worse for them and how it could be. I don't know. But he didn't want his brothers to join him in hell. Jesus warned us about people like that. He said, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly the ravening wolves. You know, truth does not vary. And because of truth, we can have victory. But we have to acknowledge that. When Jesus sent the apostles to preach, He promised. He made a promise to us. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But He also promised, He that believeth not shall be damned, Mark 16, 16. Paul exclaimed to us, he said, The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Not what Rick says. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. If someone is following Christ, let's follow that person. Let's listen to them. Let's learn from them. The truth of God is the gospel message. It's absolute. We have to acknowledge it. If I don't acknowledge it, I can't have victory. I can't have victory. It's not going to happen, right? But that doesn't have to be the case. But simply acknowledging something doesn't mean that's all I need to do. If I simply acknowledge something, that doesn't mean that that's going to give me what I need. I can acknowledge the fact I need a job in this world, right? 
I can acknowledge the fact that my family depends on me to provide for them. But I have to do something about that, right? Truth is absolute. I have to acknowledge it if I'm going to be saved, but I have to accept it and apply it to my life. How do we accept the truth? Someone says, well, all you have to do is believe. Okay, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. Does that mean I'm accepting the truth? No, I have to obey the truth. I have to do something, right? Obedience. Simply making a mental assent that Jesus Christ, who in eternity was the Word, took upon Himself the form of a man. He came into the history of mankind as a human. He lived in this world for about 33 and a half years as Jesus. He was the Messiah. He was the Christ. He died. He was murdered. He shed His blood for my sins. He went back to heaven. I have to do more than make a mental assent that I believe that. Why? Because He left some truth behind. And He said I had to do certain things. That's how one becomes a Christian. Simply by believing. The Apostle Peter didn't know that. Notice what he said in 1 Peter 1.22. Talking to those who had been scattered abroad, the Christians, he said, Seeing you have purified your souls. How? In obeying the truth. He didn't say in believing the truth. What about all those chief rulers and Leaders of the Jews who believed on Jesus, but they would not confess Him. They weren't saved. We have to do more than believe. James said that the demons believed and trembled. But guess what? They're lost. They're not going to heaven. He also said, but faith without obedience is dead. James 2.26 We have to do something. God has always required faith through obedience. In the different dispensations of time, whether the patriarchal, whether during the law of Moses, or even in these last days, the Christian age, faith through obedience. Our faith is demonstrated through our obedience. Isn't that what James said? He said, I'll show you my faith by my works. You can say you have faith. I'll show you my faith through obedience. Once a person dedicates himself to God by accepting he has to offer himself or herself as a living sacrifice, Romans 12.1. As Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount, He talked about faithful living. He gave a few warnings about those who were not living faithfully. He talked about hypocrites, the dangers of not obeying God. And then He asked a question. To those people He would say, Luke 6.46, Why do you call Me Lord when you don't do the things I say? They believed on Jesus. But they had to do the things He says to learn and to know the truth. We have to live the truth. We have to apply that to our lives. Romans six seventeen through 18 listen how clearly Paul stated it. He said, But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin. How did they stop being the servants of sin? But ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. Until one obeys the truth of the living God, we're not saved. 
The writer of Hebrews warned that Jesus is the author and finisher of eternal salvation. To who? To those who obey, Hebrews 5.9. Not to those who simply believe. Try as they might. Some people will tell us, and they try to find a way to get to heaven without faithful obedience to God. Not going to happen. It's not going to happen. There will be those in the religious world that tell us there is nothing you can do to lose your salvation once you gain it. Where in the world does that come from? It doesn't come from the truth of God because He told us to continue. Those who endure to the end, Matthew 10, they'll be saved. What happens when we quit enduring? We have to ask ourselves, do I know the truth? Then I have to ask myself, have I obeyed the truth? The truth has been left for us until we accept the truth that Christ is the Son of God. We repent of past sins. We confess His deity, that He lived as a man, that He died for us, that He rose, that He's coming back. Until I'm immersed in water for the forgiveness of sins, until I live a faithful life, all the way to the end of my life, I'm not going to be saved. But I can know I'm saved because I know the truth. I know if I do these things, I can be saved. And those are the words of God. Not my words. I'm simply repeating what Christ said. In Matthew 28, prior to going back to heaven, Jesus went unto the apostles and He said, All power... All authority has been given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Now here it is. Teaching them to observe whatsoever things I have commanded you. When Paul says that we're baptized into Christ, that's what Christ said. When Ananias told Christ, told a, a, a praying, crying, weeping, fasting Saul of Tarsus, Arise and be baptized, washing away your sins. It is because that's what Jesus taught. When He said that, telling Timothy, I've, I've, kept the fight. I've kept the faith, I've fought the good fight, now I know there's a crown of life laid up for me. That's because Jesus taught that. Not because some man taught it. Never take anyone's word for it. Our souls are too important. They're priceless. If you've never obeyed the gospel, do that today. If you have and you've fallen away, don't leave here not in a covenant relationship with God. Come back to the Lord through repentance and prayer, confession of sin, whether publicly or privately, whatever the case may be. Do that as we stand and as we sing.